I'm Sanjeet Sethi, and this is On Topic, conversations on cultural leadership. Equality, that is what always moved me. Uh, whether it is uh, gender equality or cultural equality, um, equality is my quest. And uh, I feel like there is um, a lot of uh, inequality in this culture uh, in general. And uh, I don't know if, you know, complete equality can happen uh, at any time, but uh, we should fight for it. Hend Al-Mansour is a visual artist practicing in Minnesota. I spoke with Hend at the end of April about her upbringing in Saudi Arabia, transition from doctor to artist, and how coming to the United States changed her relationship to Islamic art and culture. I really enjoyed speaking with Hend, and from our conversations, I got a true understanding of cultural complexity that involves creativity, gender identity, intergenerational relations, and I really got a chance to understand this on both the personal and cultural level. So Hend, I thought we'd start by um, asking you about what it was like to grow up in Saudi Arabia uh, and, um, and what some of your earlier influences were. I, uh, I like art since my early childhood, and I was drawing all the time growing up. And my mother was also drawing, and I think she was my first um, influence because she would draw things and ask me to take it and show it to my father when he has guests. <laughs> so um, I guess she wanted to show her work and she didn't have an audience and I played the role of the curator. But anyways, so um, I also watched some of my um, classmates drawing and I remember uh, one girl was drawing really nice um, figure drawing, but then she threw them in the wastebasket. She just showed them to her friends and threw them away. And I would go and pick them up and take them home and just look at them. And I saw them, uh, I don't know, I th they're very, very beautiful. And uh, that was also one of my big influences growing up. So uh, the reason why I went to medical school is very complex. And I'm not sure it was initiated by myself. My parents wanted uh, me to be a doctor. I knew that because um, since my early childhood, they would instill that into me and I didn't resist. And I just um, knew my goal. And uh, as soon as I finished from high school, I went to medical school, which is, um, it's different in the Middle East. You finish high school and then you go immediately to medical school and the medical school is seven, year, seven years. So, uh, and I went to medical school in Egypt, Cairo, which was a big change from Saudi Arabia because in Saudi Arabia, women cover their bodies and most of the time their faces. And uh, that's what I did. And it was in Egypt, I was free to not do that. And I was at the stage that I was really fed up of uh, covering myself. And uh, I wanted freedom 
and uh, I had good time in Egypt. I was only 16 years old when I went there, and um, um, it was a forming years for me. When you're making that transition from being in Saudi um, to uh, going to Cairo, um, I'm assuming you're coming home often, um, and I'm wondering about how those homecomings um, um, must have been. Um, I remember the one time when I, I was flying uh, from Washington, D.C. Um, uh, to Riyadh, and I remember um, seeing um, um, all the women starting to go ahead and put on their coverings about halfway through the flight or right the two hours before the flight was landing. And I'm just kind of reflecting on how um, how the, the kind of returns home must have been for you. And I don't know if you have any thoughts or, or recollections about that. Yeah, I remember, like, well, going home for me then was to see my family. And I was very uh, nostalgic and I was, uh, I was anxious to meet them. And, but... You mentioned the airplane, and there is a weird feeling like when I uh, go back to Saudi Arabia, there's a feeling. I don't really put my uh, abaya on, but I feel the feeling like there is a feeling of entering into even you in the air, but uh, just like dominating feeling of uh, oppression and restriction and like you're going into a prison or something. And then similarly, when I was flying away from Saudi Arabia, there is a, like initially, when I'm in the air, I would have a feeling of freedom. I don't know if anybody else feel the same way, but that's uh, just like something inside me that happens every time I go out and in. Yeah, well, it's a it's a different space, right? It feels like you're um, that kind of that transitory space feels like a different form of reality. Yes, exactly. I, I'm wondering. Um, I'm wondering, and I'm reflecting on this. The um, how you mentioned about the colleague of yours that would throw their figure drawings into the waste paper basket after um, showing them to you or to um, some of her friends. I'm wondering if how you started to feel about the body um, after your seven years of medical school at Cairo ended. I'm assuming your own relationship to thinking about body and form probably changed vastly or dramatically. Uh, people ask me how the being in medical college affected me as an artist, and I have no good answer for that except maybe training in medicine and sciences trained my brain to think in, uh, in a certain way and train my behavior uh, and um, my way of looking at things in a certain way, but not really um, influence my art making. Or maybe it does, I don't know. I have to discover that yet. Uh, but I, as I said, I wasn't really um, um, liking being in medical school very much. I didn't do well in my college initially, and then I, I realized I have to study and pass. And then um, 
after a while of being a doctor, I just get uh, um, burned out and didn't enjoy myself anymore. And then I realized that I have to uh, just do the thing that makes me happy. And I shifted my career. And that was after long years of uh, being a doctor. And, and, I, and sorry, that included your um, accepting a fellowship um, at the Manhattan, right? Yes. So I was, I was waiting for a chance at that time to just leave Saudi Arabia. And that uh, the fellowship was a kind of chance of um, leaving. Did, did the leaving to the United States feel, how did it feel different than leaving to go to Cairo? Um... I left, um, I visited uh, different uh, places in my, during my medical career. Um, I even lived in a few months in, in England and I visited Europe a lot and I came to the United States several times. So it wasn't totally... Um, new environment to me but to live here to be one of people here is different and i was always seeing things from the outside and now i am um, an insider and that that um was uh, quite a change and uh, i remember in my uh, in the, i think during the year 2000 or so i came here in 1997 so two years into being in America, I was um, I was just questioning all my value, my values, and I was um, kind of devast devastated uh, of like, how do I do this? This is not right, and you know there are a lot of things that I had to um, uh, come to terms with and um, understand what I really want and what is uh, really valuable for me to do away from my cultural um, teachings and uh, my, you know, bringing up, which is hard because I, I came here already an adult and, you know, formed. So it wasn't uh, easy to break with, uh, with the basis of myself. And my assumption is some of those those breaks with your your the culture and values of your upbringing didn't happen overnight. There were breaks that probably occurred um, over years. Um, uh, are there are there are there ones that that stood out for you or that that you think were either the hardest um, um, in terms of tension points and um, um, things that you had to let go of? Yeah, so when I was there in Saudi Arabia, I was also rebellious and um, I wasn't, um, I, you know, th the reason why I left is I didn't want to uh, wear abaya or I didn't want to uh, have a, a guardian who, uh, who ha has to agree on everything I do and, and want and he has to be a male. Um, so I wasn't... Uh, uh, agreeable to everything but I had uh, an understanding that all these things are misinterpretation of Islam and uh, uh, we are uh, in Saudi Arabia are uh, very 
conservative, uh, fundamentalist, blah, blah, blah. And Islam is not like this. But when I came here, I turned to examine Islam itself. And I, I went into a phase where I, I would um, uh, uh, read the things in the Quran and uh, analyze them and even put them in my art and, and rebel against them. So uh, I turn, uh, I changed from being um, blaming uh, the culture on Islam to blaming Islam itself. Like uh, the culture came from the religion, and the religion came from the culture, and uh, they just feed back into each other. So I can't separate them and say that uh, this is because the government or the people. It's and not God. Um, yeah, and and later on, I I grew up out of that too. But this is the the major thing that happened to me in, in the year two thousand two thousand two when I was in uh, MCAD. And and can you can you talk a little bit about that shift? You're you're at the Mayo Clinic. You're doing a fellowship, um, um, and then at a certain stage, then art starts to enter the picture um, as a. Um, um, as a new direction for you, um, can you describe how that how that shift occurred, or what were some of the um, I don't know if it's milestones or moments that you think that that were uh, pivotal in in that in that shift? Yes, uh, when I came in uh, Mayo Clinic, um, I was uh, I went to a medical exam and I found that I have uh, breast cancer. And that um, just like uh, shocked me. It was uh, it was in, in in the initial months when I was there. Here I am coming to change my life, and this uh, big threat is in front of me. And um, it, um, I just continued doing what I need to do, have the the treatment, and continue doing the fellowship, but. Meanwhile, I was just trying to process what happened, and I, uh, and that's when I just like could not even go to the hospital anymore. I was so depressed and not motivated to continue this, um, the life I was leading. And um, I started reading self-help books and um, seeing psychotherapists, and then I realized that something has to change. And that is when I decided to um, come to MCAD for continuing education classes. So I, um, during the last year of my fellowship, or maybe the last half, half a year, I came to MCAD twice a week from Rochester. And I had just like uh, painting and uh, drawing classes. And I felt at home. It just like... I realized that this is what I need to do. And then I uh, decided to do it. I, I finished my fellowship just in case I wanted something. Like I, I wasn't sure that I would um, continue liking uh, being an artist. So I finished my fellowship and uh, then I went to MCAD. And uh, the continuing studies helped me build a portfolio. And I applied for an MFA there and I was accepted. And what was your time like at MCAD? Um, did you feel like your um, 
Um, how did you feel like your specific voice and, and as you started to hone it or craft it further, how do you feel like that was received? Um, and what were some of the, I don't know, what were some of the um, in, individuals you may have met that were particularly influential to you? Uh, it was, I could say that if not the happiest, it's, it's one of the happiest periods of my life, uh, those two years. Uh, my mentor was Albert Monsner, and he's still my mentor, and I had great time with him. I interviewed many um, uh, teachers, that's what they asked us to do, to have an interview, and then we uh, s settle on one. And I remember uh, our interview was uh, six hours in a coffee shop, and I took that as an indication of my liking him. and. It was really fruitful relationship. That's a pretty good sign. Six hours mm -hmm. in a in a coffee shop with him. Um, um, you know, one of the things that's notable for me about your work um, um, is um, the focus of a figure um, uh, and that figurative work, but it's done within the context of an elaboration of. Um, pattern that certainly seems influential uh, or referential to uh, where you grew up, um, but also of a, a of a fantasy world. Um, and I'm mm. just I'm wondering if you can talk about how you're able to pivot and and interplay between um, what you know I, I see as kind of traditional um, you know uh, geometric patterns and backgrounds, um, along with um, this kind of this fantasy and otherworldliness that I see in so many of the, so many ways that your the figures of your work are, are depicted. I didn't do um, geometric designs or Islamic art um, um, uh, vignettes or uh, influence before before I came to the United States. I used to do to do uh, figurative drawing and watercolor paintings when I was in Saudi Arabia. I did have some shows there too, but um, when I came here, I realized something that the teaching of art in Middle East and my understanding of art was uh, based on um, Western art. This is like you know, art schools are those, you know, the, the, the ones that Western artists did. And there is no acknowledgement or no um, um, awareness of our own heritage in art. And uh, so I, and, and then I, I also like, when I came here, I was, um, Put in a different category because I, you know, my skin color is different. My I have an accent. I'm from a different culture, and um, so being in that place made me want to belong. But my belonging has to do with bringing something, and unconsciously I went back to my culture and wrote things that uh, spoke to me and put them in my work. So I, I looked at a lot of Islamic art books and 
I just became fascinated with it and just like how genius those geometric designs and how um, multiforms they can take and and uh, and it's an endless endless um, art form also the colors uh, spoke to me a lot I came from uh, a desert land there's not much color there and uh, I know that um, Bedouin women and Bedouin people and people in Saudi Arabia in general love color and I love color too. Um, and I think it's a compensation for um, absence of color in nature, perhaps, uh, that they would like to put color in their furniture and their clothes and their houses. Um, I don't know about the otherness um, that you said uh, about my work. Um, I think, no. yeah, I no, think no. I, I, I like to work with archetypes and, um, and uh, especially of women. And I would bring uh, imaginative images of either women I read about in history or just imaginative personalities. One work of yours that um, I was, I've been really intrigued uh, about, and I'm, I'm glad I have a chance to talk to you because... Um, is and I have no idea about the dimensions of this and as I as I'm looking at this uh, online, but was I think a piece of yours called Fatima in America too. It is a, um, a, a red and white screen print. Uh, there's these women's heads all around um, mm. the the border of a of kind of a white geometric. Um, you know, um, what I certainly see is kind of, um, kind of uh, Islamic architecture referential piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I guess I'm wondering, um, as I look at that and I see all these women's heads that are, um, um, kind of surrounding, um, this central square geometric, um, pattern, um, for me, it seems like there's a commentary about narrative, but there's also a commentary about, um, uh, about multiple identities. Um, mm -hmm. I'd just love to know more about it. Uh, so Fatima in America was a, a body of work that I made from 2005 until 2011, and I made three versions of it. And it was an installation artwork based on interview of uh, Muslim women in Minnesota. So I would interview a woman and... Uh, I would make a room uh, that portray her soul or personality or character and let, um, let the interview inspire me to make the images. Uh, what you are referring to it was the uh, floor of that installation. So the installation um, starts with a, a facade and then there's a, a gate or doorway you enter and there's a floor in a in a kind of like a mm, central yard or um, it's, it's, uh, it's made to, um, to mimic the Islamic architecture style. So you go to in a central yard, maybe there is a, um, a column and then columns around and then you go to each room which are around that yard. So those images, uh, I, I wanted to bring one a woman face or head from different Islamic cultures. 
So uh, some of them were uh, from uh, pictures and some of them from uh, Islamic art um, uh, books. Um, yeah, so I would think of Iranian women or um, Moroccan women or Saudi women, and I would just uh, put her image there um, with, um, with the, the way she adorned her face or she dress her head, something like that. And the women I interviewed, they um, are five women, one from Iran, one from Morocco, one from Jordan, one from Somalia, and one from Saudi Arabia. It, you know, when I look at that image, it, it feels like there's a degree of bearing witness of some kind. I was really struck by the gaze um, um, in all of those um, uh, and all those um, heads that are represented. Mm, like uh, confrontational? You know, for me, it seems a lot like bearing witness, um, mm -hmm. um, a gaze that's kind of um, steady, um, you know, um, it's locked um, um, and it's present. Uh, it's something that I, I don't think the viewer can escape from. Um, and again, I think for me, it, I found it to be very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm wondering, um, as your work um, is evolving now, um, what are you thinking about um, or what have you been thinking about in the past few years that you don't think you were uh, back when you graduated in 02? Are you where you thought you would be? Are you um, encountering yourself having different types of conversations um, than you had planned on? When I left MCAD, I was, uh, I started as uh, painting major and then by the end I was making more installation art after I left MCAD I turned to screen printing which is uh, unfortunate because there uh, at MCAD there's really a very good uh, screen printing studio print shop that I didn't really uh, make use of when I was there so I learned print, screen printing on my own and uh, I don't know why I just fell in love with it after I graduated from MCAD. And um, so I went on doing that. And then now I'm doing, I'm, I'm more fascinated with animation. And, and um, I'm um, starting, or I started uh, taking classes and uh, looking into animation, making um, baby steps and animation myself. So I didn't, when I was, uh, then I, when I was an, uh, at MCAT, I didn't really think of myself doing those things. But uh, I was um, more, I was very optimistic. And, and I thought uh, by sure after 10 years from my graduation, I will be a very famous artist and uh, my art will be everywhere. And, and I'm sure everybody, you know, feels the same way, but I, uh, the art world wasn't really very friendly. Um, I had, um, I, I mean, I, I work hard to uh, get shows and get grants and, and um, but I mean, it's, I love it. I would love to be in a better place right now. And that's what I thought when I graduated from MCAD, I thought I would be in a better place. In terms of my, um, uh, visibility. But in terms of my artwork itself, the quality of artwork, 
I uh, I'm um, maturing, and I think I'm um, I'm um, I'm happy where I am. I I do things I love to do, and I experiment with whatever I like to do. So I'm in a good place that way. That experimentation is something that's got to have fits and starts to it. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk to me about um, some of the um, um, some of the frustrations that you have, projects that you feel like you haven't been able to get off the ground that you would have liked to, or um, um, work in your studio that you're still trying to figure out um, that um, that may still perplex you or uh, or flummox you. Hmm. Well, the just the transition to animation is taking a long time and it's frustrating. And I think because I am afraid uh, to make decisions because um, the, the, the hardest decisions are the first decisions. They dictate where you go with your work. And um, I... Uh, I like to know what I'm doing and I like to be in control, uh, which is not good. Like I have to let myself go and just trust my body to do whatever needed to be done. Um, so um, this is like, you know, just the transition to, to start my animation project, which I have. I'm very excited about the project I have, and I'm writing grants for it because I think once I get a grant, um, then um, I will be I will have the motivation and I will have the uh, uh, validity or acknowledgement of the value of this thing I'm doing. I have my studio and I can do whatever I want. But just like I do, I, I want to do something of value. I want my art to sell and I want my art to, to be acknowledged by the art keepers uh, that it's worth uh, spending the time doing it. And that's why I want um, to have grants for certain projects. I, want, I don't want to spend my own money, uh, you know, funding my art. That doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, it's it's um, the entire cultural ecosystem um, is complicated, and looking for support um, as well as looking for ways that there are opportunities to have those discourses, um, I think are um, um, are things that are really only compounded by our current situation um, regarding the pandemic that we're in. And I wasn't sure if you've got thoughts about. Um, both from your background um, in medicine, um, as well as being a creative practitioner, um, about how you think the pandemic is affecting the broader cultural landscape that you've been so invested in over these past years. It seems that we have, um, there are some changes to our way of life that might continue after this. You know, the way we shop, the way we um, order food or order things, or the way we uh, socialize even, the way we uh, communicate, all are affected by um, COVID-19. And um, we found new ways, and maybe those new ways are good. Some of them are good and hopefully will continue until after. Um, but... 
it might be only a short period of time and then we go back to our normal life or perhaps if this lasted longer then we will um we will uh this uh this path will be uh, um like written in stone or something and we will uh, continue to have it um I don't know if I answer my question, your question. No, I, I, mean, I think it's helpful. I think it's something that we're all contending with. It does make me start to think about um, the role that creative, creative practitioners, artists and designers play within situations like this. Um, and, you know, specifically, I start to wonder about that notion of creative or cultural leadership. Um, uh, individuals that are um, showing us how uh, culture can evolve and change over time. Um, either through their own practice or through supporting other people in their practice. Um, mm. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if you've given any thought to the, no, the, the notion of cultural leadership uh, and what it may mean to you. I'm not leading my culture, uh, which is Arab American. I don't feel like I'm leading them or I'm a leader in, in that culture. But I feel like I am... Um, um, maybe responsible for representing uh, them or representing some of their uh, dreams or values or ideas uh, or bringing their culture to the main uh, uh, to the main culture and um, asserting their presence and their belonging to um, to the mainstream America and are there things that you'd love to change about the cultural ecology that exists here um, um, that, that you've reflected on s since your time here? I want equality. That is what always moved me. Uh, whether it is a gender equality or cultural equality, um, equality is my quest. And uh, I feel like there is um, a lot of uh, inequality in this culture uh, in general. And uh, I don't know if, you know, complete equality can happen uh, any time, but uh, we should fight for it. We should just uh, look forward to have equality between gender, between classes, between uh, different uh, ethnic groups, color, skin colors, languages, everything. Because we are all human beings and we have the same uh, right to Mother Earth. And um, just uh, it, it doesn't sound right that somebody would um, put some lines on the ground and say that this is mine and, and you're not allowed here or... I have more privilege than you. It, you know, it seems like with um, certainly over the past three years, we've seen a rise in xenophobia, uh, in anti-immigration sentiment. Um, and, and from my perspective, the pandemic is only um, emphasizing and exacerbating um, um, some of th those qualities. Um, and I, I'm curious to know from your perspective, uh, what's an artist's role or responsibility 
um, in in combating or addressing those uh, those um, virulent forms of xenophobia or um, um, uh, or discrimination. Well, the artist has to be um, true to their inner artist and their voice and, and vision. So not all artists um, can frankly address or speak about, you know, political issues or cultural issues. It, it just depends on what the artist's inclinations are. I, I don't see artists has different responsibilities than other people. Just the, they are, I see artists are as windows or vents for the whole society to breathe and um, to express what is, what's there, what's inside, because what's inside the artist is always inside her culture or her community. And um, the artists are um, the tools for the, um, uh, the uh, common unconscious, or uh, I don't know what, I forgot what is the name for it. The collective unconscious, uh, the collective unconscious, yeah. Uh, so we are tools for that, for the community to express itself. And we just uh, receive and express. I'm wondering if there, um, if, if there's any advice that you could give um, an artist um, or a curator that's starting out and is trying to address some of these inequities that you were mentioning earlier that you thought needed to be addressed. That's um, trying to go ahead and define um, uh, an alternative path forward um, beyond the, um, the more sanctioned systems or structures that exist now. Um, mm. I'm wondering what kind of advice would you give them? Mm. Well, again, I, I advise them to be true to themselves, to what they really think. Because I think uh, the art world um, is becoming rigid with um, uh, system values and judgment that um, doesn't uh, really reflect the, the overall culture. And... Uh, Often you see people when they go to a museum or, or see a, a piece of artwork, they would think that they have ex they're expected to say something uh, great or um, you know be philosophical or and not really feel and see the painting as it is. So I feel that there is a dissociation between the uh, museum culture and uh, general culture. And I feel like curators have the responsibility to um, to uh, decrease the gap and uh, come down to uh, or come up to um, what the culture feel and think and be flexible, be open, um, uh, uh, see everything, explore. That's all. That's great. And I think that's actually a, a perfect place to, to stop. Um, I've been speaking with Hen Al-Mansur and uh, been so fortunate to be in conversation with her to talk about her work um, and the role of creativity uh, in her life. 
as well as her experiences at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Topic. To find out more about all of my guests this season, head to mcad.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu.edu